Good morning. Good to be here on another Sunday. Of course, this is the first one of the year, right? I thought some of confetti or pyrotechnics or something, but I don't know that our cleaning folks would have appreciated that. It's good to have you all here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll excuse the kids to go downstairs and enjoy uh, Children's Church. Father, I thank you for bringing us together as the body of Christ this morning. I thank you that you have good things for your people, that you care for us. I thank you that we have opportunity to minister to one another, to encourage one another. And I ask, Father God, that you would help us in that. I also ask that you would be with the children as they go downstairs, that they would hear the good news of the gospel, that they would be changed, that they would be encouraged, and that they would be taught how to live for our King. Father, be with the adults and the helpers that are downstairs. I thank you, Father God, that we have opportunity as a church to pass the truth on to the next generation. Be with us up here as we look at your word, and may we be transformed by the power of your written word. I thank you, Father God, for this time this morning. In Christ's name, amen. And all the children said, whoa, we're going to church. And off they go. What a good time. Bye. (laughs) This is the first week of the first Sunday of this year, and this is also the first Sunday of a a new um, series. We're going to start a, a, a trip through the book of Daniel, and uh, that's quite an adventure. If you have opportunity to read the book of Daniel, read it and then reread it and just keep reading so that, so that you're kind of right there with us. It's fascinating. If you remember last week, I mentioned living in an increasingly pagan culture and, and how important it is because we live in that kind of society that for believers, it's important how we live with believers as well as how we live with unbelievers. This is a part of who we are in the body of Christ. We need to remember as well that the history of God's people is filled with individuals who have chosen to live in various degrees of cultural paganism. Living in a pagan world is not something new. But there is a history. You could go clear back and begin with Abraham all the way through the history of of God's people. And you'll see individuals who have chosen to live within that paganism, and not compromise their passionate love for Christ and His kingdom. It's fascinating. And if you have an opportunity sometime, uh, pick up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's, it's not a difficult read, but it might mess with you if you're just reading it before bed. Because there's some, you know, burning at the stake kind of stories. You will read story after story of men and women who would not compromise their faith and they died horrible deaths. 
This is a common theme throughout Christianity. We're going to begin this series today, and we entitled it, The Uncompromising Life. Because we will see Daniel's life is one of uncompromising faith in God. We will be examining some of the highlights from the book of Daniel. And throughout all of this, you'll see that Daniel never compromised. And because he never compromised, that's part of why God used him in astonishing ways. And his, his life and the way God used him is still impacting us today. The book of Daniel was written by Daniel uh, sometime around 537 B.C. And this phenomenal book really has two threads. When you look at Daniel, you need to keep track of these two things that are, you'll find all the way through it. One of them is the man, Daniel. It's like a character study. A character study of a man who will, would not compromise his faith. The other thread is the prophecies that God spoke through him. Fascinating stories and amazing prophecies. The book of Daniel takes us from a crisis in Judah's history forward through the historical events that even include the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the book of Daniel really is is one of the most important books in the Old Testament. It's fascinating. And if you really want to to see some of its importance, if very often people get really excited about the book of Revelation. You know, what's going to happen? And if you really want to understand Revelation, you, you might want to start by getting a deeper understanding of the book of Daniel. They, they fit together. This book is filled with profound prophecy. But it's also a very practical book for us today. Daniel, if you remember, was a Jew. And he's a Jew in a, in a very pagan world. His life spanned the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire. And in both of those empires, Daniel held a, a very high position. God helped him moved in his behalf, and and he's got this this high position in both of these empires. I'm going to give us some more background, because this background today is something that we need to kind of use as a foundation throughout this whole study. So there's some historical things that we really need to have deeply imprinted on our minds as we look at Daniel. Um, At the time of the, the events of Daniel... Israel has been divided. If you remember right, they were at one time just one country, but but then Israel divided. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. The division was the result of Israel's continued idolatry and rebellion. When David was king, David was blessed by God and had the ability to kind of keep the 12 tribes together somewhat. And they were, for the most part, united under David. Solomon became king after his father, and and he ruled over a united Israel until he began to slip into some idolatry. The country became more idolatrous, and and then you have these two nations. Israel and Judah, then, 
continued to worship idols and rebel against God. And the result was God's judgment. Isaiah prophesied about this judgment. And we find that prophecy um, back in 2 Kings chapter 20. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which was your father's have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. God would not let them just get away with the rebellion and the idolatry. So he raised up the kingdom of Babylon. He used that pagan kingdom as judgment. And in doing that, Babylon invaded and conquered Judah. And around 605 BC, we find that Nebuchadnezzar comes into the nation of Judah and he takes hostages. This idea of taking captives, taking hostages and transporting them back to a country's home territory. Most of the time, those captives were forced into servanthood of some kind. This sent a powerful message to anyone that the country had superior, uh, superiority over the losing country and had totally conquered the people. So as they come in, they've, they've conquered Judah And to prove the point, they take hostages. They take them back to Babylon. Forcing hostages into training for service was also used as a means of keeping the conquered people under subjection. They used this to help keep people in line. This practice was very common. It was a very common part of warfare at this point in history. Daniel is one of these hostages. Let's look at this, beginning in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility. So they've taken these hostages. The phrase there, chief eunuch. Some people think, you know, wow, you know, that's an emasculated male. Well, it can mean that. But here, the term is used, it's an Assyrian phrase that meant head or chief. It referred to someone um, in high-ranking military or political uh, positions. So this is kind of a status statement. Let's go on. Verse 4. He was instructed to take youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So our assumption is that Daniel and his three friends were handsome, intelligent, talented, and faithful Jews from the tribe of Judah, and they were most likely royalty. Now, I'm not royalty, but I've, I've got the other parts of the, the handsome, intelligent part down. Right, okay. 
this idea of what they looked like, their appearance, this is important because in the Babylonian culture, outward physical beauty was thought to be connected with great mental ability. I mean, that's where I get mine. So this was a, a huge part of their culture. These, these hostages were the brightest and the best that the Jews had to offer. We also know from, from the way they, the scholars have studied this that these young men were probably around 18 to 20 years old. And as young men, they would be forced to learn the culture and the thinking of Babylon. They would learn the king's language, and they would study Chaldean schools, which were probably the best at the time. They would have already been instructed and, and, and gone through the whole education of Judaism. And they would have had a very strong understanding of the word of God. This Judaism and the, their understanding of the word of God would help them understand Babylonian errors. They would, they would be able to discern right and wrong in that culture. And it would also give them the ability to communicate God's truth to the Babylonians. Their training as Jews also gave them this drive that we're going to see not to adopt all of the Babylonian lifestyle. This is where this story takes us. Let's go back. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azareth of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. And Hananiah, he called Shadrach. And Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So what's in the name change? These new names were another way that the Babylonians were going to make the Jewish hostages more Babylonian. This is part of their schooling. These names have a lot of meaning because they are associated, they're linked to Babylonian gods. Belteshazzar, it means favored by Bel. Bel was the chief god of the Babylonians. Shadrach probably means favored by Bel. Uh, our, uh, Enlightened by Aku. I'll get it. Shadrach means enlightened by Aku. Aku was the moon god. Meshach means who is like Aku. Abednego, um, they think, was probably a, a word, that, a name that meant servant of Nego. And Nego was the pagan fire god. So they're assigning pagan religion to these Jewish young men. In this education, these young men are going to have three years of Babylonian education, and then they would be placed into the king's personal service. This is huge, and it's part of God's plan. A man named Ashpenaz was to watch over them, and he gave them the same food as the king ate. But here's where we start seeing this uncompromising lifestyle. Verse, 12, verse 8. 
But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This is a very important passage because Daniel is doing something very dangerous. He's being very bold. And it's based on his not wanting, his desire is to not compromise what he knew to be a godly lifestyle. He will not compromise. I will not defile myself. So he boldly asks for permission from Ashpenaz to eat what would have been what we would think of as a kosher diet, water and vegetables. This was amazing. It's huge. It's so bold. And it's also incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. Because Daniel is saying, don't, now, wait a minute, let's not do what the king said. That's huge. Because Nebuchadnezzar could have you killed for anything. There was no trial. You weren't going to get to make your defense. If you went against the king, he just lopped your head off. Here's Daniel going, oh, you know, let's hang on about this food of the king. This is really bold. This also, I think part of it is because of the nature of how, how Daniel presented it, but this had to have created some conversations with Ashpenaz. You, know, you want to do what? Think through the drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? So Ashpenaz is getting the idea of how dangerous this is. If I let you do this, the king could kill me. And you want, uh, you want me to approve this? He's concerned for his own life. Daniel responds with another bold step. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. This, again, is very dangerous and very bold. We should all recognize that the fear of man is very powerful. But Daniel is showing that he will not fear man. Instead, his uncompromising character drives his boldness. Here's one of our lessons. People who will not compromise their faith in God, have boldness. Talked with a man after the first service, and he's, he's making a, a fairly, he's, he's thinking about making a fairly major career change. And his thinking is, can I make this career change and honor God. Is this a better way? Is this a greater way for me to honor God? And I said, you're going to be successful no matter what you choose. Because you want to honor Him. 
but there's some fears in doing what I'm doing. You're going to fear God or you're going to fear man. This idea of boldness and, and not compromising, it, it reminds me of, of a verse in Psalms. It's 119, verse 46. So here, here we have this boldness. Listen to this. This is from Psalms. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. Is that where we live? This is what we see in Daniel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state my mind. I'm going to propose this bold test. Because I believe that God will not put me to shame. Verse 15, back in Daniel chapter 1. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables. So Ashpenaz sees the results. Now, I can, I can think this through and I can think that Daniel probably, because of his upbringing had a gracious and, and pleasing personality. And that might, be, might contribute to why he got away with this test and this change in the king's orders. But this is actually by God's hand. This is God at work. God gave him favor with the Babylonian official. God worked in the heart of an unbeliever. Why did God do that? So that God's plan could come to pass. This is, this is all about what God wanted. When, when we're obedient to God, he is pleased with us and gives us favor. We know that from scripture. So, so we, can, we can rest there. But we also need to rest in the fact that God works in, in many ways that we never know. There may be things that he has done behind the scenes and in other people's hearts that we will never know. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with that enough to say, I expect that from my Lord and Savior, the God, the King, the Creator of the universe? I wonder, wonder what would happen at your place of work or in your families or wherever you, you might be interacting with people, especially people who are not believers, people who are maybe pagans. What would happen if you took that high road, the high road being the way of God, and you took a godly stand in an issue or a, a matter that, that might have some conflict, and you said, here's what I'm going to do because I will not compromise. I will not compromise and I will not be afraid of man. How would those circumstances turn out? For many of us, I think we might go, oh, no, that's scary. But what an amazing thing we would get to see because we would see God's hand. And we're going to see God's hand no matter what the results. This reminds me of Proverbs sixteen seven: When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I was going through this and preparing for this morning. I was reminded of, of the, the, the experience I had at the university when I was working there. And in my office, I had this, this poster. And it just says Jesus on it. It's really pretty cool. 
I haven't got it hung in my office yet because I just found it. But here's this poster. It just says Jesus, and it's sitting behind my desk, behind my desk in a way that whoever's in my office sees it. There's a professor there that went crazy. Hated that poster. The boss that I had at the time, who ran our department, was an atheist. Now, I don't know how much of an atheist he actually was, because I know a little bit about how he was raised, but he had to work in his atheism a lot. But that's what he would say, I am an atheist. I'm an atheist. That's what we'd hear from him all the time. Well, this guy, this professor, saw this poster, and he wanted it thrown out, and he wanted me disciplined for having a poster of Jesus in my office. And the issue got complicated and everything, and it, it, it ended up even in the, at the president's office. This guy was so incensed that I had a poster that said Jesus. I never once officially defended that poster. My atheist boss did. Who did that? He took that issue and ran with it all the way to when the hearing was done at the level of the president's office. And we won. I didn't have to do that. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It was never, ever an issue after that. The assumption can be made from our story in Daniel that as Daniel is working out his heart issue, I will not defile myself. That he's not going to compromise And I like something that John MacArthur says. He puts it this way. It's important for us to not compromise to gain something with men and lose something with God. I like that. Daniel wasn't willing to lose something with God just to kind of appear to be all right with men. We can make another assumption that that this program that Daniel's a part of, that there were other young men that were selected for training, probably young men from Judah, and probably young men maybe from other nations. And those young men more than likely compromised because Daniel has set up this test. Compare us with them. Just compare us with the rest. That's all I'm asking. If we're worse than we are, then then that's the test. If we're better, then what are you going to do? Just compare us. Now, there's another great, great principle here for us. And the principle is this. Sin produces doubt, fear, and questioning. Righteousness produces faith, confidence, and security. And the reason is, when we have faith in God, who can stand against us? We're going to trust him or not. Daniel put his life on the line. He could have been killed for this. This would have been seen as total rebellion. But he puts his life on the line against the king's plan. But because God honored his faith and his obedience, God fought for him. God intervened. By the way, this passage about the food that they're eating... Um, 
you might have heard about it sometime in your life, the Daniel fast. Um, keep, keep this in mind. This is something that happens when we look at the word. Um, this verse actually is not teaching that if you eat only vegetables and drink water, you're going to be healthier than anyone else. And I've even heard the Dan- Daniel fast taken so far that if you do the Daniel fast, if you just drink water and vegetables, waters and vegetables, God will prosper you. You're going to be better than everybody else. That's not what this is teaching. This is teaching about being obedient to God. This is teaching about not compromising. Now, for some, the Daniel fast is great. That, that's great. I've done it. Didn't help. No. It can be great for some people. But the lesson in Scripture here isn't about that diet. It's about trusting God in a very dangerous circumstance. That's what it's about. After 10 days, the test results were obvious. Why were they obvious? Because God blessed and honored Daniel and his friends' faith. They would not compromise. They would not be defiled. Another, by the way, fatter in verse 15. It comes from a Hebrew word meaning healthy. This is one of those places where I go, okay, so that's so simple. Why didn't we just say they were healthy? Because that's literally where that term takes you. They looked healthy and strong. The fat part is, is a little bit like when, when I was raising my cattle in, in, the, in the spring. Sometimes my cows look kind of, and I'd put them out on this really neat pasture that we had access to. And they would just blossom. That, yeah, they looked bigger, but they also had that slick just look to them. And just, those are fat cows. They were healthy. So here we've got these, these Jewish young men who are noticeably more healthy. They looked strong. They looked healthy. They benefited with the vegetarian diet. Because of God's intervention. Not just because of the vegetables. Because of God. God's direct intervention made this possible. I'm not, a, I'm not opposed. If, you, if you're doing Daniel stuff, that's fine. Me, i got to have a piece of beef. Meat and potatoes. God's doing something here. Let's go on. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
ten times better. You go back to, to verse 17, this, this learning, this, this education. It goes beyond just Chaldean education. This was an education from God to be able to receive visions and understand visions and dreams. There's this supernatural thing happening here. Incredibly supernatural. God gave Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah supernatural abilities because of their uncompromising life. God could trust them with supernatural knowledge and gifts because they were, would not compromise their faith in God. I've had people have come to me and said, Pastor, I, you know, I, I believe this is my gift, but God doesn't seem to use it. And then we talk, and, and sometimes it's because God can't trust them. They make compromises. How do we compromise? Do we compromise at work? Well, I could just say this and, you know, the boss will like me better. Or I could do this. Do we compromise with our finances? Do we compromise in our relationships? Or are we going to live uncompromisingly for God and do things His way? This is such an important lesson for us. Each of us must Choose to not compromise in any situation and trust God. Let God handle the results. Let God work in other individuals and circumstances. We talk about it as believers. We can trust God totally. Isn't that what we talk about? We can trust God. He knows what is the best in every situation. No matter what the circumstances, no matter who's involved, He knows every thought, He knows every emotion, He knows the heart of every person involved. He knows it perfectly. He also has His plan, and He knows how He wants those things to play out. Do we trust Him or not? Each one of us risks a great deal when we try manipulating and then in that manipulation compromising instead of trusting God. I'm going to do these things to try to get so-and-so to do this. You're trusting yourself. We need to choose to be so much in love And trusting God that we will not compromise. Where's your trust in God? Let's grow in that. This reminds me of Psalms 37. The psalmist has this same idea. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. We need to be a people who never compromise our faith. Who totally put our trust in God. Father, thank you that you have given us so much 
and you have demonstrated and shown us that you do have a plan and a purpose and that we can totally trust you. I ask, Father God, that you would help us with decisions we're making, with relationships we have, family problems, work problems, whatever the circumstances might be. And we put our trust in you. Father, find in us a people who will not compromise the truth, who will pursue the truth as we pursue our relationship with you. I thank you, Father, for each person here, and I ask that you take us out into the world that we would, in uncompromisingly way, in uncompromising ways, take the gospel, the truth of the word of God, the death, burial, and resurrection truth that saves, and take that into every circumstance, knowing that you, you will manage the results. Father, use us. And find in us a desire to trust you in everything. In Christ's name, amen.